0: And as promised, I've got our guest, the president of Minnesota State University, Mankato, Dr. Edward Inch. Good morning.
1: Good morning, and thank you for the invitation.
0: Oh, wonderful to have you on. And now I'm going to ask you how it's been going, because this has been your first official semester. is coming to an end because, well, finals are, are next week. So right. let's, how would you grade yourself on your first semester? Oh,
1: well, that's not fair. I, I'm, I'm not the one to grade me. I wouldn't ask any of the, <laughs> the students to all grade themselves either. You know, I, right? I, I I look at this way: uh, is, is this a still is this an exciting place? Is this a place that uh, I felt comfortable working with people? And do I see opportunities? And the big thing, you know, I've I've had an opportunity now. I've, I've completed five months. At the end of five months, I've had the opportunity to meet with many departments and units and colleges. And what's exciting about it is how much really good stuff is happening. And the opportunity is how do we take all of these really good things that are happening and learn how to focus and develop them and scale them in ways that all students get to participate in some of these really exciting things that are going on. I mean, I just returned yesterday from a a couple of days working with our students in the Iron Range and learning about what they're doing. It's exciting stuff that is going on there and I've learned that from colleges here. Uh, now it's time to think about how we might be able to put some of these things together. And that's been fun.
0: Yeah, you've been doing quite a bit of traveling to see, I guess, like you mentioned, the Iron Range, what's going on up there, and I assume other places that we have connections?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I've been able to to meet quite a few people, including alums, but but business partners that we have, many in our own community here. And then I've spent quite a bit of time talking with our students who are here, as well as our faculty and staff in the different units. And so it's been... It's been busy, but a really good busy.
0: So, so I would say that the way you're describing it sounds like a pretty high grade.
1: Pretty high grade. The, the piece that comes out, though, regularly, and I think it's an important piece, is that we do really good work, and we're doing really good work in the middle of a pandemic, which has heaped on a lot of stress and fatigue. And so I'm thankful that we have a break coming up here that are going to let all of our community, our faculty, our staff, and our students Uh, step back a little bit and recharge and spend time with family and friends, because I I have heard in each of my visits that people are working as hard as they can, but also trying to manage all of the challenges and difficulties associated with COVID. And so I'm uh, hopeful that people get a time to disconnect, and I'm appreciative of the kind of work that they've done even through, what, 20 months of this now.
0: Well, at this time last year, in fact, it was at Thanksgiving break, Nobody came back because yep. of the way the numbers were with COVID. Now we did have Thanksgiving break, the students did come back, we're finishing off the semester now. Mm-hmm. How are things going on campus in terms of cases and that sort of thing?
1: Well, we're fortunate that both county case levels as well as our own case levels are dropping. and our, you know, The number of cases that we've had on campus have been relatively small and managed quickly. Um, my greater worry is that it's not just our campus. We've lived in an area of the, the state where we've had really high community transmission that got up towards 16% at one point. We're now down under 10 today, I believe. It needs to go down further. But I think we're doing okay. And it's because our community made a choice, is that we got vaccinated or we're getting tested regularly and we're masking up, which I know nobody likes to do, but we've been able to do that and keep keep transmission levels low among our students, staff, and faculty.
0: And I know that there was a campus-wide booster shot mm-hmm. clinic that we had. Do you know numbers in terms of the number of students and staff and faculty that are, are vaccinated? Are we pretty good on the numbers?
1: Um, we're very good on the numbers with uh, uh, vaccinations, and I don't know how many, <laughs> we, uh, how many boosters were, were given out. But with vaccinations, we're getting close to 95% with staff and faculty. With students, it's in the upper 80%.
0: And that will continue, I assume, the the encouragement to get boosters. And we don't know if we'll have another clinic six months from now or not.
1: I'm assuming we will, depending on where the pandemic Mm -hmm. is. I mean, so much of this is informed by what the transmission rates are and where we are in terms of the state about the levels of risk we have related to the pandemic.
0: Do you know the percentage of in-class versus online that's going on? Because I think students have that choice now where in the past, they didn't.
1: So it depends on how you count it but because the classes are designed to be very flexible. And what we told... Faculty after Thanksgiving break is that they could make choices around how, how to keep the density on campus down if it was appropriate for how a course should be taught and the learning objectives for the course. So we, we think this, this week now the density is down a bit. We wanted to make sure that we didn't have any unexpected uh, transmission, right? That we do the best we can to control it. And so, uh, but for most of the semester we were about 50 50 uh, in person versus online. And it'll be a little more in-person in the spring right now, depending on where we are with the pandemic and positivity rates.
0: Speaking of things happening, the next couple weeks, of course, finals and then commencement. Yes. In the the last year, when you first, well, your first time you came, Mm -hmm. we had a commencement very, very different in any way it's ever been done before. It was uh, in the the ballroom and it, it just wasn't the same. Are we coming back? as it has been in the Taylor Center Breslin Arena and people get to walk and be on stage as per normal?
1: That's the goal but it won't quite be what it has been because we're still careful about too much density Mm. in a crowded environment and so as opposed to unlimited numbers of people being able to come in we're asking that each student bring only six and so we're issuing tickets of a maximum of six and then we're requiring masks of everyone and You know, that's tough for some people, but it's important because for us to do this in person, and I believe it's important to do in person. I've heard that from our students, clearly, but I've heard it from our staff and faculty who want to celebrate with these students that they've worked with for the last four, five, six years. This is an important community event to be able to do in community. And I'm I'm hopeful that this goes on. Uh, as it is planned with social distancing, with masking up, and that our students have a wonderful time to celebrate. And for me, it's one of my favorite, you know, things in the year is to get to celebrate this achievement with your students and their families.
0: And that's wonderful too, because I've heard from so many students, because we employ a number of them here at KMSU, how disappointing and anticlimactic it was not being able to walk across the stage. They say, you know, I was here for this many years and paid all this money, and I don't even get to, to graduate. So I think that it's a welcome yeah. thing to have that back.
1: And I've heard that regularly since I got here, is that are we going to have in-person? And, you know, obviously, if, if things were to turn and, and you know, uh, CDC and Minnesota Department of Health says can't. But everything, everything to me looks like we've, we're taking all the precautions that have been advised, and I think this will go off wonderfully. We'll have this chance to celebrate with our students and their families.
0: Well, personally, I'm glad that the the campus requires masks and things because mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of places you go now, it doesn't, and it just makes me feel more safe. So I guess I'm okay with it. So I hope others will Agreed. obey that and just say, you know what, it's it's what we have to do.
1: And our campus is pretty good with this. I walk around, I see mm-hmm. students and staff, faculty a lot. I cruise through the, the Union and out on the, you know, in, in other spaces and people are pretty good.
0: They are, they really are. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about here, things happening at Minnesota State, is enrollment. And mm-hmm. we've heard in the the national trends, the enrollment in colleges is going down. I've got a senior in high school now and you would not believe how many recruitment calls and postcards and letters mm-hmm. that we have been getting from all over he you know he scored really well so he's got so many options by the way he chose and signed up to go to MSU
1: well smart kid right the, right <laughs> absolutely yeah, he wants to be
0: close to home <laughs> so so there's a lot of competition out there for getting students what is the status of that how are things looking
1: that's a great question. So I'll, I'll go at it more globally is that uh, over the next 10 to 15 years, we expect the traditional age student numbers will go down significantly. And so the amount of competition is going to increase. Second is Minnesota students are well, well educated. I think we rank seventh in the nation in terms of spending per student. So it's not surprising to me that uh, universities and colleges work very hard to attract Minnesota students. For us, Um, our numbers, it's a little tough to tell because of the pandemic and the effect that it has had, but our numbers have remained relatively stable this year and into spring. In fact, in spring, enrollment numbers look like they'll go up a little bit for uh, first-time students, you know, domestic students. We will go up in international students over this year, and we'll go up quite a bit in uh, graduate students. Where we are seeing softness in enrollment are with traditional-aged undergraduate students, so the first-time, full-time students. And that reflects, I think, where the population is going, is that that 18-year-old cohort is diminishing. Where we're seeing increases overall is in ing- is in graduate enrollment, which also reflects what I think the national trends are, that adult learners, people reentering to learn or to upskill or reskill, are becoming an increasing part of the market. What we don't know is why we're getting almost, well, a 600... Uh, applications for international study which is up like twice where they would be normally. So we're getting a lot of applications for international students to come here and uh, I'm not sure if that is pent-up demand or if it's reflective of something else because you know last couple of years it was difficult for an international Mm -hmm. student to come particularly if the programs were all online.
0: Speaking of international students you brought that up. MSU is one of the leading schools in the country in terms of the numbers of international students.
1: Yeah, I think we're rated uh, 12th for our you know regional comprehensive segment in the nation, which is quite an achievement. I and mean, we've grown our international enrollment consistently and smartly. The way we've designed international enrollment, particularly with the cultural enrichment grants that those students are eligible for, as well as how we engage... The, you know, the international students with our students that are from here and students from other states, I think it's been really good. and I think it's helped our, our community strengthen, but also our understanding and awareness of global issues surrounding not only education, but the environment from which all of our different students come from.
0: You mentioned those cultural scholarships. Mm -hmm. How does those get paid? Because I know I've got international students who are able to attend here because they say it's less expensive than a lot of other places because you have those cultural scholarships where they do so much, uh, is it community service work? Right, engagement work, yeah. Yeah, and then they're eligible for these scholarships that are a lot less than they'd have Mm -hmm. to pay if they didn't have that. So how do those come about? Are those donations, or how are those made uh, available to these students?
1: They're made through um, the university covers that part. It is the the part where if students make this agreement with us that they, they will do that they will work with us, and and do these kinds of engagement activities that uh, we will give them that equivalent of financial aid. It's university given financial aid. Now we also get donors who are interested in these programs that help us build out other facets of what we're able to do with our international students. But that's the primary way.
0: I wanted to talk about some of the donations from folks have helped so many students make it through this pandemic, especially Mm -hmm. uh, not only in the the case of the food that has been donated and to, to the food shelf and things like that. They've had emergency grants. How significant has that been to help students be able to continue to... Do their education?
1: Well, it's huge. The majority of our students work. And when you're going through a pandemic where your work gets shut down, how do you make it from day to day? And so the emergency aid grants, the uh, short-term emergency grants, I think have made a huge difference in us being able to retain our students. So even though we lost some students over the last year, year and a half, that weren't able to come back for finances, we've been able to support an awful lot of students uh, with emergency grants but also additional financial aid to support them through uh, being able to complete their degrees when they weren't able to work. And so we've done well. Right. I think we've, you know, the last 12 months or so, more than $24 million in aid oh have gone goodness. out. That's including the federal aid.
0: One of my students uh, who is from Uganda, in mm-hmm. fact, was going to have to go back to her country because she didn't have money. But she was the recipient yeah. of a $3,000 scholarship by a generous donor who said, this is for someone in financial need and she was able to continue her years and continue through at the MSU so that just I mean it warms my heart to think that somebody's willing to do that sort of thing and and I can't even tell you how grateful she was.
1: Well I think that's an important point is that uh, we in the middle of a pandemic when you would think it'd be very difficult to raise money right we still broke records in raising money because it was our alums, donors, regional philanthropists stepped up and said, how can we help? Because uh, it made a difference. And I've heard lots of students that were able to get an emergency grant or loan that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise, but for uh, somebody stepping up and saying, "I." I, I I have resources I want to help students.
0: And some of those emergency loans are things that never, that I know anyway in my history of in education, never existed in the past where if you had a major breakdown of your car, you could get help with that or something yeah. that might be the difference between you being able to continue school or not.
1: Well, that's exactly right. These kind of last mile grants is that a student might make it through, and then all of a sudden an unexpected and often relatively small expense makes the difference in whether or not they can attend school. Car breaking down is a good example, or computer breaks, or or whatever, right? I mean, a number of things can get in the way of our students being successful. And so having uh, some resources to be able to give them emergency grants is tremendously helpful.
0: And I know recently you were uh, helping to distribute food for students because of food insecurity. And that seems like that's a significant need on campus, and not only here, but in the community as well.
1: It is. National estimates are a fifth of students have uh, food insecurities. I'm not sure our campus numbers, but my guess is we're not that far off of the national trend. And it got worse uh, during the pandemic when they when students didn't have as much income coming in because they couldn't work as much. And so, being able to have resources for students, both what we have in you know with our pantries, but also the uh, Swipe Hunger Out program, and also emergency grants, I think have been. Important in being able to to help students bridge challenges they have.
0: Well, I hope if people are listening to this show, they they realize how much difference it does make to keeping uh, the students continuing their education and, and and keeping a lot of them in the community because I think they really appreciate the the help they've been given.
1: I think I, I I know the students are very appreciative. I don't always know how much our our community understands that uh, the work they're doing is meaningful mm-hmm. and that. Uh, their, their contributions made a difference. You know, the, the, the different community members that stepped up to support the uh, distribution of uh, Thanksgiving meals, uh, yeah. meals was, was significant. And we were able to give very nice meals to students or groups of students to get them through a long weekend. And so that was, that was wonderful.
0: How much involvement have you had with the legislature now? Have you been talking with legislators, and if so, what sorts of things are you hearing for in the terms of future financing and that kind of thing? Because we've got some projects that we want to keep forefront for them.
1: I've had the opportunity to meet with many legislators, and, okay. and all of them have different uh, um, focal points that they want to talk about. But the uh, the one common one is they want to see Armstrong Hall. They want to know what is the deal with Armstrong Hall, and, and we had two... Uh, of uh, a, two, uh, well, a Senate and a House committee uh, come and talk to us about potential bonds uh, to support the, the uh, replacement of Armstrong Hall. And I thought the most telling thing that came out of those two uh, sets of meetings was, was were what our students told the legislators is that uh, you might think that this building is something that just serves one college and one program, but it's not. And they made the point that every single student we will have classes in this building. And as the university moves to embrace team-oriented and active-oriented instruction that is around projects, this facility does not allow that. And one of the, the things that they, they were able to show legislators and we showed legislators is if you try to go to a faculty office in that building with your team of seven, where exactly are you going to do? Because it, exactly. you can't walk two people side by side down the corridors in there much. It's a very tight building designed for a very different period of time, a different kind of instruction, and we've evolved past that. And I think the legislators were impressed that, uh, our first, our students were as clear about the need, but also once they saw what we've been able to do in the facility, but then it's stark limitations, I think those went well. The feedback I've gotten has been real positive.
0: So what is, where in the process is that then in terms of getting planning money and going to the next step?
1: So we have submitted our uh, request, and we have, uh, you know, we're ranked 10th of all of the uh, system uh, priorities. And now we wait on the legislature to come back with us, either with additional questions for information or with where they, they rank us in the process.
0: And what are the, the dollar amounts we're talking about here?
1: Well, the first process for planning is about $7 million, and that will take care of planning the new building, but also retrofitting some spaces that need to be um, added. Uh, changing uh, some of the library spaces for learning support, uh, working on clinical science building in order to build out uh, the, the unfinished basement, and some other renovations that will increase learning capacity in a flexible way.
0: Do you have a time frame do you think that that's going to take? Because I know it's been in discussion for a while.
1: Well, so I'm new to Minnesota. Right. I don't know the <laughs> rhythm of the <laughs> legislature, but I, I would I would guess we will know things in spring.
0: Okay. Well, that that's good to know because it's one of those things that is definitely – um, needed and yeah. is there are there other projects down the pike that you will be talking with them about?
1: Well, the uh, the primary ones now are going to be clinical sciences. Are going to be the library renovations and Armstrong Hall. Those are the ones that we're focused on with the legislature right now.
0: All right, and let's see what else do I wanted to talk about? Yeah, mm, we covered everything. Oh, I wanted to talk about innovation funding. There, yeah, there's this uh, cool thing we have called innovation funding. Tell us a little bit about that. And I've even heard the word shark tank competition. Yes.
1: I had to look this up because, uh, as I've met with lots of different departments and colleges, there are lots of innovation grants that are being given yeah, it is to support entrepreneurship or new ideas in a, in a college or a department. Lots of good things. I've gone to some of those presentations. This one, related to Shark Tank competition, is one that the system uh, sponsors each year, and it invites faculty and staff to develop proposals around how we might transform pedagogy, course materials, how we might transform the student experience by rethinking how we deliver course content or rethinking how we want students to engage with the material. And so I think those are pretty exciting. I mean, the, uh, the, the top ones that seed new opportunities around $25,000 and sustaining ones around $10,000. And the opportunity out of that is to develop a really good idea. And then the question is, how do we web that through our system so that people are able to look at what they're doing and maybe transform some of the things that we do.
0: Do we have any examples of any that have actually happened?
1: Well, that's a great question. I'm new here, so I'm okay, still wait, working okay. on. I don't oh. know. No,
0: that's fine. I just I, I mean,
1: I've read the ones that were done yeah. last year around uh, developing uh, OER, which is an interest for me. So that's open educational resources, okay. and to bring down the cost for students. I've looked at how some of the uh, project-based or th- some project-based learning uh, opportunities for courses got redesigned, such as in computer science. So there are things that have been funded. But I don't have the full suite of things that have been done here.
0: Well, that could be another topic for another day. Could be. All right, good. Uh, You mentioned the cost of getting the cost down for students. Has there been any talk of tuition? You know, we're talking inflation now. Unfortunately, it's happening everywhere. Are there discussions about tuition increases or anything down the pike there?
1: Yes. Uh, The system has asked the legislature in a supplemental funding bill uh, to... uh, to um, essentially pay for any cost of tuition that's coming up. So instead of uh, asking the students to pay for any increased cost because of inflation and salaries and all of those things, that uh, the system's asking that the legislature fund that so the students don't have to fund that. And that's in process.
0: It's in process, but we don't know how that's going to go either, obviously. We're hopeful. We're, We're very hopeful, yeah. Uh, here's another one. This might be putting you on the spot because this right. wasn't in the list. <laughs> 2021 Chili off.
1: Ah, uh, yes, we did not win the the Eater's Choice one last time, but we're we're back in the game.
0: Okay, so because that's coming up, right?
1: Yeah, was 13th, on, I think.
0: Um, uh, actually, why well, have Tuesday, November? 6th, oh, the, that, that's the old one. Oh, that's the old one. What's we didn't one? win that one? Oh, that's the one you didn't win. It, okay, it's,
1: it's a bitter subject, but we didn't win that one. I think we came in second, so, but very few votes. So
0: the new one's coming back, right?
1: Well the new one is really I think is just my chili. Or oh
0: it's just you, okay. And it's it's
1: biscuit's favorite chili is what the official biscuit's name is. Biscuit's
0: favorite chili. Let's talk about what is that.
1: Well biscuit being the dog. Oh the dog. The dog of discerning taste.
0: This is your dog? Biscuit. And she, she and, has a favorite chili. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, I, I, mean, I mean,
0: if it's good enough to feed to the dog, I guess yeah, it's good enough for no, people. No, no, no. I didn't say we fed it to her. <laughs> oh. She smells it and likes it. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> so what's the secret? My, my husband said I should ask you that. He says, ask him what his secret to his chili is.
1: So the secret to the chili, I wish I could claim at all, but it was actually from our head chef here. She said, you know. Oh. Yeah. She was putting it together for us, you know. And she says, you know, this would be so much better with smoked brisket. Oh. And she was Right.
0: Hence, biscuit likes the biscuit. Loves the
1: brisket. Now that part chili. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, we have it. We have it right from the president. The dog has approved of this chili, and it's coming up next. Is it next week already? Thirteenth. Oh yeah. Okay. So everybody go and and know that that's the secret. So he's giving away the secret.
1: Yeah. Well, I didn't tell you all the other secret spices, but I'll I'll give the brisket away.
0: very, Very good. How are other things going? Everything going well for you? And any other big plans coming up? that you can talk about?
1: Uh, you know, this th- this semester's been one of learning and uh, being able to meet with people and get a sense of how things here are connected and how they work. And And I think, you know, I, I treat that work as, before you make big plans or anything, you have, you have to understand mm-hmm. things on this campus and in our community are the way they are because a lot of people spend a lot of time working on ideas and issues. And so it's important to understand those. And, I've been really appreciative of all the people that have taught me so many different things about this campus. So in January, I've asked the cabinet to you know go off campus for a, a day and a half retreat, where essentially we're going to put all these things that I have heard and all these initiatives people imagine, we're going to put them all on the table and begin to think about, all right, where do we want to move this? Because our people here have awfully, awfully good ideas. How do we build those what how do we leverage the the assets and the resources we have to do some remarkable work
0: so it's a matter of just wait and see that's right any big plans for the holidays
1: well part of it is uh, we're just gonna take a little time and take a break good uh, and sit in the house and be happy just be happy and then we're going to go visit uh, family
0: very nice yeah uh, I wanted to thank you for, you gave me a deck of cards, and that was going to bring up a topic, too. This this is a special deck of cards that I got. Uh, KMSU, by the way, gave him a nice KMSU scarf, so those of you who pledged for it, you'll be proud to know the president now has his own, and he's sporting, looking sharp. But you gave me a deck of cards, yeah. and it's not just an ordinary deck of cards. Talk a little bit about that, because it has something more to do with just a deck of cards.
1: Well, a, a few years ago, the cabinet that I was on then had an uh, anti-bias, anti-racism, uh, workshop with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, who is uh, the director of the uh, uh, Center for Transformational Change, and one of the things she did was she gave us uh, little little cards, um, like post-it cards, that had uh, the name of different communities that universities and, and well that organizations serve. And so, what she asked us to do was for each community to imagine different scenarios about how any decisions we were making affected them. And out of that, I began to think. You know, wouldn't that be nice to, to put that in front of people daily, just, just to have people remember to think about all these different communities we serve? And so I started working where I came from on the project and got to finish it here to build a rough draft deck, which is what you have, that uh, it's a standard card deck. You can play whatever game you want with it. And, uh, but on each card, there is a community that this campus serves, so we adapted a little bit.
0: Well, I'm just gonna look I'm looking at some of these now and some communities, administrators, staff, relationship, marital status, military, veteran status, financial aid status. Each of each card has a different uh, what did you call it? A Affinity Group. Affinity group. These are
1: my affinity cards.
0: Yeah. So somebody with mental health status issues or ethnicity, culture differences. And they've got the regular numbers like you know, yeah. you King, Queen, Joker, one, two, three, four, five, et cetera. So how are these played then different? What are you hoping? I know you work with students even on these. Well, I
1: walked down before I came here, I walked down to the uh, cool. multicultural center and I gave them a deck, and I said, "You know, for spring, can you all think very creatively about what card games would you put together?" Oh. But I imagine, I, in my, my more limited breadth of gaming and all of that, I'm, for me, I just play a game of Solitaire every day. It just reminds me when oh. you play a game of Solitaire, and you look at each card and you think about it, you know just keep that, that community in mind today. And if you just do that every day, you, you begin to... And the whole point is just to think broadly about who we serve, because sometimes I think decisions might get made where we didn't think about a community. So I'm just hoping that this broadens people's thoughts
0: well as I'm looking at these some I, there's communities I didn't even think of as mm-hmm. being a community per se and so I think this would be really cool and I think maybe they should be on sale at the bookstore at some point
1: well we'll, we'll see how we go so what I asked the students to do was two things okay. one was one was this is a rough draft so if I missed a community well,
0: you know oh, I need to fix okay. that right gotcha
1: you know so or if one here is not appropriate for us. Okay. Although I think I'm pretty right, the second thing I asked is I'd like to have a little booklet of games, so to have them create games, and we can if we sell them. But I sort of think you make them available to people on campus. Yeah. If you know diversity twenty, equity twenty thirty is a major initiative for our campus and for the system, and the first part of equity begins with understanding who's affected, and be think, and think broadly about all these different groups of people that we work with, so we're sensitive to the different kinds of issues each faces. And so that, that's really the purpose of this is just to keep awareness of the, 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 the wonderful differences that we have on our campus in our community. Just keep that
0: It's very clever. I, I think it's really clever. I hope people get a chance to see these and so when are these might be available? You said this is a rough draft. I a thought rough this draft. it looks like a finished product to me, but Well, they look great. There,
1: there are a couple things I would fix. Now, one thing that drives people a little nuts with them, but I sort of liked it because I've just shown these to people is that yeah. they have a tough time playing with them because clubs and spades are purple and diamonds and hearts are gold, and that, that's somewhat <laughs> off-putting. They don't
0: think of the, the black and red colors of normal. Yeah. So
1: it, I've, I've, I've seen people stumble trying to play solitaire because we're very color-coded. Right, but, right. Uh, we'll <laughs> see. So I'm just asking for <laughs> feedback on them at this point.
0: That is awesome. I think that is really great. So uh, I don't have anything else right now just to wish you a very happy holiday season, and I appreciate you coming in, uh, doing the show as always, and I uh, look forward to seeing you next year.
1: Absolutely. And thank you. I appreciate the invitation. It's fun to have the conversation.
0: Yeah, it is. And if you came in late on the conversation, KMSU has these on our SoundCloud. Go to KMSU SoundCloud and we'll put it under talks with folks at MSU.